This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, you know, we are, uh, we are not the most patient people, are we? No, and I don't just mean us here at Redemption. Like we, the human race, we're not patient people. We're not good at waiting, especially for things to arrive, for something to finally happen. All right, like Cubs fans, we waited... 108 years for a World Series title. And I realize we didn't wait all of those 108, but collectively, as one people, we waited 108 years. And, and like this season, um, this season's making 2016 feel like 108 years ago already, isn't it? But think about, think about other things we waited for. Amazon. Remember when Amazon, we thought it was so incredible that you could order something and within 48 hours, it was at your doorstep. It was the most incredible thing ever. But get this. The other morning, I ordered something, and uh, do you know how frustrated I was because it wasn't going to be delivered until 4 p.m.? That same day, 48 hours feels like 48 years ago. But not only do we get frustrated when things take longer than expected we, to arrive, we, we get frustrated when things take longer to end than they should, don't we? Like when you're late to get somewhere, which is all of us all the time, and the drive is taking forever to end, and it never fails. The, the later you are, uh, you're going to get stuck behind someone who's driving like under the speed limit, aren't you? Side note, if you're driving along Dryden, that's me driving under the speed limit on my road to keep the, you know, the, uh, keep the speed down. But uh, you're stuck behind a car, and then what happens is you got to cross the train tracks. And because you got stuck behind the car, now you're getting stuck at the train tracks as the train goes by. And sure enough, just as soon as that arm starts to go up and you start to have a little bit of hope again, bam, it comes right back down, doesn't it? And you have not one, but two trains, right? The dreaded triple train, and you're even later now than you were before. And the longer we wait, right, like the, the thinner our patience grows and the more our frustration grows. And we start to feel stuck, don't we? feel stuck at the train tracks. We're growing increasingly agitated and anxious and angry, not just waiting for a package to arrive, but for that, that thing you, you deeply desire, that thing you have been longing for, that person you've been longing for. Not just waiting for a train to pass, but for the darkness to lift, for this season of pain and suffering to end. So what do you do? What do you do when it feels like you can't endure another day, when you can't take anymore? How do you, how do you patiently endure a, a situation or a season in life that seems like it will never end? How, how, do we, how do we wait for something that seems like it'll never arrive? That's what I want us to see this morning as we continue our series looking at the fruit of the Spirit by looking at the fruit of patience this morning. And we're going to look at this passage here in James chapter 5, in this letter written by the half-brother of Jesus, written to people who were being persecuted for simply following Jesus. They were suffering uh, relationally. Many of their Jewish friends and family had, had shunned them. They were suffering economically. They were, they were losing their jobs, all because of their faith in Jesus. And they were growing increasingly frustrated and anxious and angry, no different than us. And so James, he, he closes this letter 
with encouragement, encouraging them to remain patient in the midst of this, showing them in some sense the how, the what, and the why of patient endurance that we're going to look at in a, in a, in a 3 two, one sermon. It goes like this. We're going to see three commands that show the how, right, how to endure impatiently. We're going to see two examples that show the what of what it looks like to endure patiently. And then we're going to close with one promise that gives us the why that enables us as followers of Jesus to patiently endure. A little heads up, if it seems like I'm skipping some stuff at the beginning, especially really good stuff at the beginning, don't worry. We didn't skip it. We're going to come back to that at the end, okay? Sound good? You ready for this? Okay, so let's start with the how. James starts with the how, and he gives us three commands of how to patiently endure. And do you want to guess what the first command is? Be patient. Original, isn't it? He says in verse 7, he says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. You're like, gee, Pastor Ash, thanks, Pastor Obvious, that's real helpful. The first step to patiently enduring is to be patient. And yet sometimes we need the obvious reminders, don't we? That's the reminder that, that James gives to start off with, and he's reminding them in light of in all of the relational hardship that they're suffering. And in light of all the economic oppression that they're experiencing and all the emotional anxiety they're feeling, right? That's what the therefore is therefore. It's, it's pointing back to all that he has written in the letter up to this point. That in light of all of that, they were to be patient. And as you read the entirety of James, right, it wasn't just patient. They were to be joyful while they waited, right? He, he begins his letter saying, count it all joy, my brothers, when, not if, but when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? He says, because the testing of your faith, this waiting, it produces steadfastness. He, he's saying in this letter that God, God strengthens our faith. God sustains us while we wait as we turn to him and as we trust in him as we wait. That's exactly, I think, what happened to Jill and I a few years ago. We, uh, when we got married 22 years ago, um, that was where you clap. <laughs> when we got married 22 years ago, I was like all focused on a career and I had no desire for kids. Uh, I was like all over here, not there. And so my loving, patient wife waited six long years for me to come around to the idea of having kids. And like when we finally got there, like we're going to have kids, like let's go now. And sure enough, um, we got pregnant right away. Everything was going the way we thought. But then we lost our first child. And we entered a season of waiting that felt like it was never going to end. Every month felt like an eternity. Every failed test was another reminder of that thing that we longed for, that someone that we longed for. Every Mother's Day, every Father's Day, every birthday party for our friends' kids was a reminder. And yet, as I look back and I reflect on that waiting, that was the season God really grabbed me. Because it was then that I was truly forced to begin to trust God. It was then that I actually sat down and read the entirety of God's word for the first time to find out what God actually said, not what I thought he said. It was then that we helped a friend plant a church in our living room. It was then that my faith 
truly began to grow. There, in the waiting, my faith began to grow. And after five years of, trust me, very imperfect patient waiting, God blessed us with two beautiful boys, Ethan and Sean, that you got to see this morning. Ethan's down there teaching kids today. He thinks he's teaching. He's leading a game. He's going to be bummed. Sean's going to be down helping in minis next week. You're going to be in sixth grade next year, buddy. We waited a long time. And yet what James is getting at here is that being patient, that counting this waiting as joy, turning to God and trusting in God while we wait, that strengthens our faith, knowing that he will see you through the waiting. But as we talk about patience, as we talk about waiting, I think we need to clarify a few things, things that you might already be running in your mind and already asking. There's five clarifications I want to give us. And I think we have to start with this one first. Number one, the first clarification is that uh, patience does not apply to enduring abuse. Amen? It does not apply to enduring abuse. I, I, I feel like we can't say this enough. If we said this 25 times a Sunday, God loves you. I know that because he said so. God loves you, and he is not calling anyone to patiently and quietly endure abuse, be it physical abuse, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse. And so hear me, if, if, if you, if a loved one or friend is experiencing abuse, especially in a situation uh, where someone with power or authority over them, whether it is in their home or their work or their school or their church, right, two things. Get out and get help. Get out and get help and find someone who, who, who can walk alongside you and who can advocate for you. And I just love you to know, I want you to know that as your pastors, we would love to be that for you, to walk alongside and advocate for you. Because patience does not apply to enduring abuse. We good? That said, number two, the second clarification is this. Patience isn't our first choice, is it? Patience is not our first choice. We, we live in an on-demand culture. Uh, we, are, we are prone to avoid things that are slow, right? Like baseball. And like three of God's people in this room said amen. We're prone to avoid things that are slow. We, we are prone to avoid things that, that take time to develop, right? Remember when you had to like send your pictures off to get developed and you got them like a week later? Now it's like you take it and already your little kids are like, show me, show me, show me. They don't remember what it was like to wait a week for that picture. We, we don't, we're prone to avoid things that take patience. And, and so when something takes longer than we think it should, when something takes more time than what we want to give, we just, we just give up and we move on to something else, don't we? And did you notice that we end up spending more time looking for a shortcut around something than if we actually just did it? Like, take, for example, at the grocery store. Uh, you go to get in line at the grocery store to check out. And you, you thought, you, you analyzed it. Uh, if we got, like, an insurance actuary in here, you know what I'm talking about. You're, like, analyzing this thing, and you found the best line. But then you look over, like, that line's moving faster. And so you jump over to this line, okay? And you think, this is the line. But then the person in front of you, you know what they do? They're paying for their groceries in pennies. And you're going to be there like all day. So you're like, enough of this. You go back over to the self-checkout line. But what happens when you go to the self-checkout line, the reason you didn't pick it in the first place is because you had too many groceries and you're like, this is going to take forever. And, and you're doing it. And the machine, like, you know how it gets frustrated with you if you don't put it in the bag fast enough? 
It can't detect the weight. And so here's what happens. The person who was behind you in the original line, they're waving at you as they're heading out to the car while you're sitting there waiting for customer service to come unlock the angry machine. You'd have been done sooner if you just stayed in the first one. But let's say this, this lane hopping, whether it's in the grocery store or whether it's on the freeway, right? Let's say this lane hopping, let's say it saves you two minutes. And that's probably being rather liberal. It saves you two minutes. You, you got done two minutes faster. You arrived two minutes sooner. What were you actually planning to do with those two minutes? What, what, what good were they going to do? Because that's all the quicker you were going to get there. What, what made that time, those two minutes, what made them so valuable that you traded it for tension? Anxiously enduring rather than patiently enduring. Because I think what typically happens, if you save the two minutes, it took you way more than two minutes to calm down afterwards, didn't it? Patience isn't our first choice. I don't know if it's our second, third, fourth, fifth, 99th choice. But number three, third clarification, patience is not something we manufacture on our own, right? If it seems as though patience, anybody here feel like patience doesn't come naturally for them? You can go ahead and raise your hand. It's a safe place. You're not on the live stream. They can't see you, right? If it feels like patience doesn't come naturally for you, it doesn't come naturally for anybody. That's not how it works. Patience, it's not natural. It's supernatural. It's a fruit of the Spirit working in you. It's, it's a fruit that he's forming in you along with love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these things, these are, not, these are not descriptions of what you are to be doing, right? They're character traits. It's who you are becoming, not under your own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like if there's a little encouragement here, you can't manufacture patience on your own. Number four, though, patience is not passive, it's active. Right? Patience is not passive. God's, God's not calling us to just sit back and passively wait for the Holy Spirit to get things going, kind of like you're sitting there waiting for that Amazon delivery or waiting for DoorDash to drop dinner off. Instead, we are patiently, actively seeking God, attentive to the Spirit's leading while we wait, right? listening to what it is that God might be calling you to while you wait. See, oftentimes we find ourselves living at such a, a frantic, unsustainable pace that what it does is it, it distracts our attention and it draws our affection away from God, doesn't it? Dallas Willard, who's written extensively on, on spiritual formation, he says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Of all the things he could have picked, he said, hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life in our day. And so what that means is that sometimes God, what he does is he comes along and he, he intentionally slows the pace of life, sometimes even bringing it to a screeching halt. Because as N.T. Wright once said, it is only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. It's only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God, allowing us to hear his voice, to quiet the noise to hear his voice, to feel his love, to abide in his presence and reconnect with God, to, to be still and know that he is God. But other times we actively wait by 
preparing, don't we? Preparing for what's next, planning for what God might have in store. And so I want to ask you, how might God be calling you to wait? What what might he be calling you to? What might he be preparing you for as you wait? How can we change our view of waiting as something God might be doing in and through and for you? Sometimes we need to take a moment to reflect on on our waiting, in our waiting. Because patience is not passive, it is active. And the fifth reminder, fifth clarification, patience requires trust in God. Right? It requires trust in God. And James, he goes on to give us an illustration here, and he, he compares it to farming. Right? He says uh, in verse 7, See how the farmer waits for the, pro- for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. I, um, I grew up on a farm in Iowa, and farming is long days of hard work. Um, it's, it's stressful because so much of it is, is outside of your control, right? Especially the weather, is, as James notes here. Uh, too much rain and your crops will drown and rot, but not enough rain and they'll dry out. Too much sun and they'll burn up into a crisp, but not enough rain and they won't grow. And just as the farmer patiently trusts in the weather to provide, we patiently trust in God, don't we? in his timing and provision, his faithfulness and sovereignty, trusting God with what we cannot control and and being faithful to steward what it is that we can. Trusting that while we plant seed, while we water and care for the seed, it is God and God alone who's going to give the growth. And so while the waiting can be frustrating, it's really encouraging, isn't it, when you see some of that seed that you planted, when you see some of that seed that you watered, that you patiently prayed over, begin to to sprout. I think that's true when we see that, that, that in ourselves, in our own lives, things that we have been working towards and waiting on finally begin to happen when we, when we see it in others. I think that's especially true as parents when we see it in, in our children. And hear me as a pastor, it's encouraging when you see it in the church. I shared, um, I shared a couple of weeks ago how uh, this year is feeling like a season of spring, and the weather outside kind of makes it feel like never-ending spring. Apparently, summer's going to hit with a vengeance on Tuesday, but for right now, it feels like spring, and, and that's coming out of a year that felt very much like winter. And, and it's feeling like spring because some of the seed that we planted two, three, four years ago, it's that we've been praying over these last two, three, four years, it's watering it patiently, waiting and trusting in God to give the growth. We're starting to see it sprout through the ground. And, it, and it's exciting. We're, we're finally seeing growth now in, in the way that we're serving our community through the pantry like we're going to do this Saturday yet again. We are seeing it in, in our spiritual formation, in our emotional and spiritual health, in those that are participating in the way to the point like, I can't wait to start another group up in January of the way. We're seeing it in our kids with, with family ministry. We're seeing it in, in, like, just having fun together. I think we forgot how to have fun for a couple of years, didn't we? And so we scheduled fun on the calendar today, summer Sundays, afterwards. Uh, we're going to go outside, and we're going to have lunch. Like, run to Mariano's, call DoorDash, get your lunch delivered, and uh, we got a special treat. Miss Kay has a special treat coming, and it's iced and creamy and comes in a truck. I'll let you figure out from there. 
But we've had, we've had meetups going on these past few weeks. Like a bunch of dads got together at a, at a park to play with their kids and go to a parade afterwards. Uh, we were playing softball in the backyard the other day. It's like, I want to say, it's happening, guys. That's how I feel after years of, of, of waiting. And so I want you to hear these words from Paul that we read just a few weeks ago in Galatians 6. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. Let, let's don't give up. For in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. We will be blessed by a harvest if we remain patient and trust in God. And I'm not talking prosperity gospel stuff here. I'm talking as long as we remain faithful to what it is that God has called us to, he will remain with us. If we remain faithful in planting and watering seed, God will give the growth. Amen? And it's exciting when it happens. Three commands of how to patiently endure. Number one, be patient. Number two, a little less obvious, stand firm. I stand firm. He goes on to say in verse eight, he says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The NIV, it translates establish hearts as stand firm. It's a similar Greek that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 16 where he says, stand firm in the faith. And what we, what we see here is that the strength to stand firm is found in the stability of the foundation on which we stand, isn't it? I'm able to stand firm on this stage because, trust me, it was built to withstand a nuclear bomb. It is that strong, just like the, uh, the old sound booth back there. We forgot to see that when we tore that thing down. It's based on the foundation on which we stand. And so here's the thing. If you're going to build your life on who you are and what the world promises, what will eventually happen is that when the storms of life come, when, when those winds blow, the rains fall, and the floods rise, and it will happen, that foundation of sand that you have built your life on, it will crumble, and great will be the fall, Jesus says. But if you build your life on who God is, on his promises, revealed to us in the written word of scripture and in the living word of his son, then our trust in that foundation of rock, of bedrock, it will only grow stronger over time. It will sustain us as we wait and enable us to stand firm through the storm. And then the third command of how to patiently endure is this. Do not grumble. Do not grumble. Look at verse 9. You want to see where I got that point? Right here. Do not grumble. I got real creative this week. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now remember, these people that James is writing to, they had been living under such oppressive conditions for so long their, their, their fuse had burned so short that they were, they were ready to blow. They were, they were judging each other. They were lashing out, and they were taking their frustrations out on each other. Whenever I get a little um, verbally animated, Jill's phrase to me is, bite my head off, why don't you? Mind you, I'm not a vampire. And then, uh, then what I do when I'm ready to uh, say I'm sorry is um, I take out my needle and thread and I, I stitch your head back on. It, it didn't really get bitten off, just so you know. But man, we start grumbling just anticipating, lady, don't we? When we know it's coming up. You can, you can feel it in your body. Your body tenses up. You can feel the anxiety building with just the anticipation. 
And then once the waiting begins, rather than just grumbling in our head about others, we're grumbling with others about others, aren't we? Right? That's a fancy description for gossip is really all that is most of the time. And the longer we wait, the more agitated and anxious and angry we become, the more isolated we begin to feel. And we start to do less asking and more assuming, don't we? Less listening and more accusing. And rather than grumbling about others, we start grumbling to others to the point that we just eventually explode and we're no longer grumbling, but we become verbally violent towards others, verbally assaulting others. And if we reflect on this, really, it typically results from unmet expectations. We talk about this in premarital counseling. Most all of our issues come back to, to lack of communication and unmet expectations. Here, having to wait longer than expected because something or someone took longer than expected. Right? We're not just talking about punctuality, which has led all of us to grumble at some point, and others to grumble at us for our lack of punctuality. We're not just talking about being late. We're talking about uh, their growth, their development, their progression through something. And like, we're not going to do a raise our hand here on this part, but I'm sure we've all grumbled at people we work with. You may have grumbled at people in this very same room. You, we've grumbled at friends. We've grumbled at family. And you know, there's times we're even grumbling at or about our kids, aren't we? And like it breaks my heart to be at, at a game or a track meet and hear parents grumbling and degrading and berating their own children because they're not meeting their own expectations of them. But you know, we don't just do this to others, we do it to ourselves as well, don't we? I think we're probably the most frustrated and least patient with ourselves. You know, we say things to ourselves that we wouldn't dare think of saying to another human being. We say things to ourselves in our mind that you wouldn't even anonymously post on Facebook. And man, we say some nasty things on there, don't we? But when you look in the mirror, those are the things we say. And so rather than grumbling against one another, let's, let's, let's be a bit more patient. Let's be a bit more gentle with one another, including ourselves, especially with our words. And listen to some of what James has already said throughout the, this letter about the importance of our words that we say to and about one another. He says, let's be quick to hear and slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Let's, be, let's bridle our tongue so that we don't deceive our heart. Let's not speak evil against one another, but instead let's speak well of one another. Let's speak the truth in love to one another. Let's be encouraging one another, praying for one another, building each other up with our words. Amen? That's the how. Now we get into the what as he gives us two examples. Two examples of what it looks like to endure patiently. And the first example uh, is the Old Testament prophets. Look here at verse 10 and 11 with me. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. He's, he's moving on from, from telling them how to remain patient to showing them. And he points to the Old Testament prophets as examples of, of those who were faithful men of God who patiently endured intense suffering and persecution. And in light of all of it remained Steadfast. 
the prophets, they were those who spoke in the name of the Lord. They spoke on behalf of God. They were, they were God's mouthpiece to his people. Men like Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Hosea, who's going to be the minor prophet that we're going to look at this year. And they weren't telling people what they wanted to hear, but what God wanted them to hear. They, they, they weren't sharing their own words. They were sharing God's words. And people didn't like it. They didn't like it at all. They yelled at Isaiah one time. They're like, don't tell us all the wrong that we did. Okay, don't, don't prophesy about what is right. Right? Speak to us smooth things, they said. All right? Tell us the things we want to hear. Tickle our ears. And he says, prophesy illusions. Right? Tell us more funny stories. We really like the funny stories. Those are the parts we remember. He's like, no more of this holy one of Israel. No more wrath. None of that. Jeremiah, he... um. Poor guy, he got thrown in a well. It was an empty well, but he got thrown in a well for preaching, and they left him to die, and it says that he sank in the mud. Clearly, he got out because he told them that he sank in the mud. And, like, and if that doesn't convince you how bad the prophets had it, listen to what the author of Hebrews says. This is nuts. What he says in, uh, in Hebrews 11. Sometimes I over-paperclip my pages. He says... Um, some were tortured, some of the prophets, they were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. You're like, oh, okay. He keeps going. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Not too many people signing up for Old Testament prophet at the career fair in Israel. And like, part of me is like, I get it. I've been mocked in texts and emails, but then I'm like, I don't get it. Because you know what? I've never been thrown in a well yet. Never been tortured. I've never been stoned. And I've never been sawn in two. Yet. That also, we think, is uh, in reference to Isaiah, how he died. So they really didn't like it when he didn't tell more funny stories, apparently. But despite everything that they faced, they, in, they endured by faith. They continued in faithful obedience to God. They were patient in trusting God in the midst of all of this. They stood firm, continuing to speak the truth, but speaking it in love. And they did not grumble. Instead, they spoke out against the evil and injustice in their world, even when people were tired of hearing about it. And like reading these stories as a, as, a, as a preacher, as a pastor, it's incredibly encouraging. Knowing that like you're never going to please everyone, no matter how hard you try. And in fact, the harder you try, the worse it gets. And so instead of trying to please everyone, I'm only trying to please the one. And that means saying things that we might not always want to hear or talk about. It means saying things we might not always agree with. It means asking you to please, please, please not saw me in two when that happens. And to be patient as we continue planting and watering seed as God's word goes forth. And I pray that the story of the Old Testament prophets would be encouraging to you as well, that it would give you courage as you wait, the courage that they had, the courage that they found in God. That it would strengthen you as you wait. Because here's the thing. When we're faced with suffering, when we are faced with conflict, uh, when we are forced to wait, we are, we are filled with anxiety and we're prone to either fight or flight, aren't we? 
Our fight-or-flight responses kick in, uh, either giving up or fighting back, either uh, retreating or retaliating, responding with either silence or violence. But James, James is calling us to choose a third option, to choose another way, the way of Jesus, the suffering servant who, who suffered to the point of death, even death on a cross. A way that Jesus says denies ourselves, takes up our cross daily, and faithfully follows the way of Jesus, the way of patient endurance. And the Old Testament prophets, they knew this. But so did our second example from the Old Testament, and that is Job. He says in verse 11, he says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You guys heard about that, Job? Uh, Old Testament, that book that you're like, the first two chapters you kind of get, and then after that the friends come and it kind of goes off the rails there. But you heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the the purpose of the Lord, how the the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job, Job is like the example of faith that patiently endures and remains steadfast, especially in the midst of suffering. He's described as blameless and upright. He feared God and turned away from evil. It says he was the greatest of all the people of the East. But Satan, he, he accused Job of only worshiping God because God had blessed him. And he's like, he tells God that if Job lost everything, he would curse you to your face. And so God said, fine, go ahead, take it all. Let's see what happens. And when Satan did that, it's Job, he says, naked, from, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. God allowed Satan to take away his livestock, his livelihood, his servants, his own children, He allowed Satan to inflict him with disease. And in spite of all of this, it says, Job did not sin with his lips. And here's the thing. We know what was happening as we read Job. Job didn't. Job didn't know why God was allowing this to happen. Job doubted and questioned God as you continue reading, but he never turned from God. Job cried out and he complained to God, but he never cursed God. Instead, he patiently endured by faith, not by sight. Instead, he remained steadfast in his relationship with God. And instead, he didn't grumble. No, he worshiped God. And I think what we see through the story of Job is how revealing our suffering and our response to waiting is. It reveals who we truly are, our character. And it reveals what we actually believe, especially what we believe about God. And so if that's you, if you're in that season of waiting, I want you to think for a moment, what does your response to waiting reveal? What what does it reveal about your own heart? And more importantly, what does it reveal about what you believe to be true about God? And is what you believe to be true about God what God has actually said to be true of himself? Well, that just leaves us with one question then, doesn't it? We've seen the how, we've seen the what, now we come to the why. Why bother waiting? And what James gives us here is one promise that enables us to patiently wait, to patiently endure. And it's that we know how this story ends. 
We're not just waiting for our suffering to end. We're waiting for someone to come, aren't we? Because every command, each of the three commands that James gave us, it's focused on Christ's promised return, his second advent, his coming yet again. In verse 70, he says, be patient. Why? Because Jesus will return. He will come again. And when he comes, what we know to be true is that he will resurrect our failed and frail bodies. He will right all the wrongs. He will restore all that is broken and renew all that is old. He says in verse 8, stand firm. Why? Because his return is at hand. It is, it is so near, so close. You, you, can, you can feel his presence just as the nearness of a, of a mother comforts a sick child and the presence of a father comforts a, a scared child. The nearness of Christ comforts us in our suffering, in our waiting. It brings us hope as we wait. And in verse 9, he says, do not grumble. Why? Because Jesus, he's standing at the door. He, he sees everything. He's standing at the door ready to judge, ready to execute his justice, holding everyone accountable for the words we've said, the choices we've made, the lies we've lived. Vengeance is not ours to take. Justice is God's to hand out. And that right there might not sound like the best of news, but what the good news of the gospel tells us is that for those who receive Jesus and the forgiveness he offers through his death in his first advent, his first coming for our sin, those who believe in his name, the name above all names, who reigns as king of kings, Lord over all creation, we, we will inherit his kingdom. We will live under his reign for all of eternity. And what we continue to see through the pages of Scripture is that everything about this way of Jesus that we have been called to pursue, the, the narrow gate, as Jesus says, it is all counter to the world, isn't it? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he writes in The Cost of Discipleship, he says, the world dreams of progress, of power, and, and of the future. But disciples of Jesus... We meditate on the end, calm. We, we meditate on the last judgment and that hope and the coming of the kingdom, the coming of our Lord and the joy that that brings. And so I pray that in the midst of your waiting, in the midst of suffering and pain and darkness that you may be experiencing, I pray this gives you hope as you wait. I hope it, it enables you to patiently wait because as James says in verse 11, we have seen the purposes of the Lord, haven't we? Right? We know how this story ends. We, we know where we're ahead of the telos, the, the outcome, the conclusion with Christ's return and a new heaven and a new earth. We know how the story ends and we know how the Lord is compassionate and merciful with us because he said he would be with us always till the end of the age, with us through his spirit. While we wait, confident in Christ's promised return to which we patiently and expectantly respond, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.